Last night, my wife said, I just love our worship music. It just leads us so naturally into looking at God's Word together. I love the, the scripture verse that Meg just read a few moments ago, and we'll be looking at that in just a little while. Um, preceding those verses we looked at are these words from the Apostle Paul as he writes to the Colossians. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. And then in yellow... That is why I am here in chains. He was in chains. He was in prison because of his faith. Now, I know we all have, we have problems. The Browns have problems right now. Our country has problems as the Democrats and Republicans are going incessantly at each other. All of us here could stand up and share a problem, a struggle that we're having. But do you know that around the world today, millions of Christians are being persecuted because they believe in Jesus. Isn't that just amazing? Um, and in just a few moments, we're going to pray because this is the national, the international month of prayer for the persecuted church. Churches are choosing different Sundays of this month to pray for those who are being persecuted. Maybe it's something you never think about. Go to that website, persecution.org, or another one, Open, U- Open Doors USA, is also another interesting website. Um, on those websites, you'll find that the, the top 50 countries where Christians are being persecuted, I'll read the top 10 to you. Maybe you know these. You could guess them, perhaps. North Korea is number one. Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Eritrea, which is just north of Ethiopia. Yemen, Iran, and then India, where we have a couple of ministries we're connected with. Did you know that? And the list goes on, and and in those 50, there are a number of countries that are fairly close to Burundi, which is an adopted country that we often talk about here. Um, We're going to pray in just a moment, but just some things to think about. Did you know over 240 million Christians live in those 50 countries where persecution is severe? Did you know that last year over 4,100 Christians were killed for their faith? Imagine that. Did you know that just approximately 1,300 church buildings (coughs) were attacked? And those are just the ones that we know about. It's going on everywhere. So we'd like to join other churches around the world um, doing what we can do, and that is to pray. We're not persecuted. We don't really understand that. Um, But it's a reality. Would you join me in prayer? Let's bow our heads together. God, we think of Paul's words that he's in chains because of his faith. That's just hard to imagine. But it's happening right now. Somewhere in the world, there's someone with chains. There's someone whose life is being threatened. There's someone who's being chased down. Somewhere there is a church that's under attack, all because of Jesus. Now, this is not a surprise. Jesus, you told us that because you are persecuted, your followers will be persecuted. We can read about this in your word in the book of Acts. We can look down through church history, but it's just as real today. So we pray that you will come alongside those who are being persecuted, that you would remind them that these are momentary afflictions in light of eternity, and you have a plan and a purpose for their lives. If anything, just to get us to pray, to talk to you, God, I pray that as people watch them being persecuted, uh, unbelievers would be drawn to you because of their simple words about Jesus or because of how they 
endure that suffering. Would you please draw people to yourself? Thank you, God. We know that the church is advancing around the world, pushing back the darkness, but it's a struggle. We pray for your grace, for your strength, for these churches, for these dear believers. We don't know their names. We don't know their faces, but they are there. We ask for your grace now. And now, God, too, as we open your word, just inspire our hearts to come alongside uh, your word and what you want us to know about how you want us to live. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, in a few moments, we'll look again at Paul's words that he's in chains because of his faith, but there's other words surrounding those words that we'll look at as well in Colossians chapter 4. But before we get there, really, to Paul's final words, before his, he gives his final greetings to the Colossians, there's only four chapters, we're into the fourth chapter. Before we get there, let me just trace back for us where we've been. Uh, in our first message, out of Colossians 1 into Colossians 2, we talked about Jesus as being sufficient. In those days, in the city of Colossae, there was a heresy going on. There was false teaching going on that Jesus is not enough. You need other religion. You need other philosophies to fill in what Jesus can't provide. And Paul writes a letter to say, no, Jesus is enough. God has made a way back to himself, and it comes through faith in Christ alone. In his death and resurrection, that's all you need. And that gives you new life. And Paul says, that's, that's good news. But the news gets even gooder, better. <laughs> the good news is, is that as God gives us new life, as we are brought into the family of God, he injects into us the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And as a Christian, over time, learns to surrender their life more and more to Christ, to send down their roots into Christ... The old life is pushed aside, not completely removed, but pushed aside as the new life in Christ begins to emerge. That's good news. We can live in a way that God wants us to live, but the news gets even better. There is good news for your homes. Paul gets very practical. A couple weeks ago, we talked about marriages, that, 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 that this new life can, can show up in our marriages, and we can actually have satisfaction, deep satisfaction and joy in our marriages as we learn to go at life how God has made us to go at life. But it gets even better. Even in our workplaces, Paul goes on to talk about how we are all created to work, whether you're retired or in an office or in a shop or at home, wherever it might be, God has given us work to do. And whenever we work, we worship. It is a form of worshiping God. We may work for an employer, but we work for the Lord. And if you're an employer, Paul even goes into how to treat your employees. It's beautiful. So uh, Colossians is written like Paul wrote the other prison letters while he was in the same cell. <laughs> he wrote to the Philippians. He wrote to the Ephesians. The first half of his letter is pretty much theology. This is what we believe, and because this is what we believe, this is how we should live it out. One half and one half, pretty much. It's amazing. It's, so, so Paul is overwhelmed with this good news that, that God would bring us into his family, change our lives, and it can show up in the most practical ways. This is good news for any Christian. 
for anybody who surrenders their life to Christ. Paul is overwhelmed with this good news. And so it brings us to a point at the end of his letter to the Colossians where it's sort of like his finale. It's sort of like his, his crescendo. If all of this is true, then we should be sharing this good news with somebody. <laughs> we should be telling this good news with somebody. We should be living out this good news in front of somebody. And this is what Paul writes. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. We read that earlier. Pray that I would proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. If we could take all of those words and put them into sort of one big idea, I think it would be this. God wants to use me to influence others toward Christ. If you are a Christian, he wants to use you to influence others toward Christ, regardless of your circumstances. So now, let's take the passage we just read, this big idea, and derive some principles out of them that we can live by starting today. And the first principle would be this. I am to pray with alertness or watchfulness and gratitude. This is what Paul writes. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Devote yourselves to prayer. We should be talking to God no matter where we are. But with an alert mind, with watchfulness and gratitude, what does that mean? So, um, this was Paul's setting. He was in prison. He was in a prison cell. Some people say, well, it was like a house arrest, you know, but maybe you'll think television, internet. No, he didn't have any of that. It was, it was really more like a dungeon setting. That's what historians tell us. Probably chained to a guard or guards outside the wall, but he was chained to something, other prisoners around him. What a terrible setting. He has lost his freedom. He's in prison. However, Paul is alert to the fact that God is sovereign and God knows what he's doing and God can strategically put us anywhere to accomplish his purposes. What are his purposes? Well, Jesus said just before he ascended into heaven, you're to be my witnesses wherever you are, nearby and far away, and Paul knows that. One time he's writing to the Corinthians and there's some of them who are going through a terribly hard time. You can find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And Paul says to them numerous times, I know you're going through a hard time, but remain where you are. Stay put. God has called you there into that setting. I just want to ask you, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, are you alert enough to know that regardless of your circumstances, God has strategically put you where you need to be. I've said it probably 20 times from this platform. One time I was listening to Bill Hall, a church leader, talk about church life, and somebody asked the question, when is the church most effective? And he said, the church is most effective when the lights are off, the pews are empty, and the cars are gone. It's not right now. It's when you are strategically located out into the community where you work, live, and play. God 
knows what he's doing. He has put you in your family for a reason. He has put you in your workplace for a reason. He has put you in your neighborhood for a reason. He has put you on that team for a reason. He has put you in that school for a reason. God has a plan. But are we alert enough and grateful enough to know that, God, thank you that I get to be your representative here, right where you have placed me. Second hour today, in the back, against the wall, there will be a man named Antonio. He uses a walker. He's been in and out of the hospital, in and out of nursing homes. And last weekend, he said, Jay, Jay, Pastor Jay, I need, to, I need to talk with you. I want you to pray with me. I thought, well, there's probably a need that he has. He didn't have a need. Well, he did. He had the need to tell me, you know, wherever I've been in the hospital or in the nursing home, God has given me people to pray with. He has given me opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. Now, there's a man who is alert. He's alert to God's strategic use of his life. Are you? I read a story some years ago. This was a young man who was graduating from the Naval Academy and getting ready to move to the West Coast to another place of service. He had become a Christian at the Naval Academy, and he, and he developed in his Christian faith at the Naval Academy, and there was one key individual who helped him to grow up in his faith. And so as this young man was moving to another part of the country, this guy who helped him grow up in his faith wrote him a letter. And in the letter he said, of all the things I could tell you as you move to your new location, find a Bible-teaching church, read your Bible, pray, get with other Christians, the most important thing I would tell you is this, own your influence. Because God will strategically put you in a place where you can make a difference. Are you alert enough? Are you grateful enough? As you pray that, God, you're doing something in my life. You've put me here for a reason. Now, how do we own our influence? Paul goes on. I am to pray for open doors to talk about Christ. This is what he says. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Now, mysterious plan, what is that? Sounds mysterious. What that means is that God has simply revealed the way back to himself through faith in Christ. And Paul is saying, I need to pray for opportunities to talk about that plan. Now, I'm, I'm imagining who Paul must have in mind as he's sitting there in this cell where God has given this, him, him this unique opportunity. It is, the, is it the guard who's a, who's he cha who he's chained to? Or is it the guards who come in and out of his cell? Is it these other prisoners who are there? I mean, if I were Paul, I'd be thinking, oh, these big, strong guards in their Roman uniforms, they wouldn't want to know about God. Or the, these prisoners, those so, they're so hardened and so down in their lives, they wouldn't want to know about God. Paul says, no. God, give me an opportunity to talk about the plan of how these individuals can come back to you. Can you think of anyone in your life there's no way they would have interest in knowing about God. There's no way they would have interest in knowing about spiritual things. There's no way. There, there's a hospital I know of that, that put together a, a video some years ago. Maybe you've seen it. And in the video, it shows people walking up and down the hallway, riding in the elevator. 
being wheeled in a wheelchair, in the patient's room. And above each person's head on the screen, they've put different captions. And, and above one person, it, it says something like, too many options for me to consider. Above another person's head, it says, my 18-year-old son is on life support. Above another person's head, it says, we just had a baby. Above another person says, I get to go home today. Another, above another person's head, it says, I have six to nine months to live. And it goes on and on and on and on. The point is, everyone has a story. You and I each have a story, something above our head. But, but what if, what if we as Christ followers, as Christians, learned to see above every single person's head the words that the writer of Ecclesiastes penned, that God has set eternity in the hearts of everyone. Above a person's head, it would say, God has set eternity in my heart. In other words, he has made me to think about him. Don't be fooled. Even the most hardened person you can think of, they have thoughts about God. You could take, you could take the most despicable person in the world next to the, most, the best person in the world, next to the poorest of the poor, next to the richest of the rich, next to the spectrum. Some really wise person a long time ago said that, that mankind is incurably religious. We're all the same. We all are wired to think about God. Everyone is born into this world with the same questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? How should I live? Where am I going? We are incurably religious. Who is God? You've heard me talk about uh, my days with the Kent State football team and some of the players and the coaches who I thought were just impervious to anything spiritual. Just this last week, I learned of a guy that was on the team. Probably, he's one of the scariest guys I've ever been around. And I looked on Facebook, and sure enough, he's become a Christ follower. Who would have thought that would happen? Didn't see that coming. His name's Danny. Scary as can be, but he is a Christ follower today. Didn't see that happening. Here at the chapel, we talk about my three. It could be four, it could be 15, it could be 20, doesn't matter. But the, my three means who would be three people in your life that you're connected to in some way, at your workplace, in your home, in your family, on your team, at your school, that you would be willing to pray for an opportunity just to simply talk about your faith, to talk about Jesus with them. Now, that may sound odd to some of you, but we are called to do that as Christ's followers, to be vocal about our faith. Somebody once said, while our faith is intensely personal, it's never meant to be private. Who can you pray for? Maybe write down a name or two. And then what? Paul continues. I am to pray for the ability to speak clearly about Christ. He says, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as as I should. Wow. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should because it's easy to get something foggy. 
Now, I find this interesting, this prayer. Uh, Paul is the, is the greatest theologian who ever lived, even up to today. He's the greatest evangelist who ever lived, up to today. Um, back in those days, he, he was more well-traveled as a minister of the gospel than anybody else. And yet he is praying for clarity. He's linked to this guard or guards coming in and out of these prisoners. And he's thinking to himself, what, what can I say about Jesus that would make sense to these guys? We pray for clarity. You know, this is, this is, a, a, this is a challenge. Um, I've been in settings, and maybe you've been in settings too, where I have the opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus. I'm a pastor. People expect me to talk about Jesus. But there are times where I wonder, what should I say? I'm not sure. Have you ever been in a situation like that? What do I say? Now, I wish I could say there's a formula or there's a recipe but there's really not. There's no formula. There's no recipe. There's no magic string of words. We have to pay attention to the context of our conversation and who that person is. And that means listening to that person. So in Paul's setting with those guards, with the prisoners, whoever it might have been, we don't know exactly what he said. He could have said a bunch of different things. Did, 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 did he call upon what he had written to the Roman church earlier? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Did he say that? Or later in that same letter, did he, did he just repeat, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? Did he say that to the guards? We don't know. Did he say what eventually Peter would write in his letter, that, that Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, that God would bring us back to himself? Did he say that? We don't. We're not really sure. I, I would imagine Paul probably had a dialogue back and forth. Tell me about your life. Well, let me tell you about my life. And, and this was what my life was like before Christ. And then Christ touched my life and I surrendered to him. And this is what my life has been like afterward. Probably that's the clearest thing you can do for somebody. Just tell them your own story. Do you have a story? Do you have a story of where God is come to your rescue, or God has helped you through a hard time, tell that story. Just pray to be clear. Now, it's important at this point to say something very important. I have a role. Oh, I forgot to even mention this. If it's on there, there we go. This is a, this is a, this is a famous statement. Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. I love the sentiment, and our lives do matter. The problem is that he really never said this. Scholars, historians recently have discovered that he never said that. In fact, he was a preacher of the gospel and went everywhere proclaiming the message of Christ. The biggest problem is that it's contrary to what Scripture teaches us. Paul says that, that, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Somebody has to tell them. We have to speak the gospel, and that's our responsibility. My role is to speak. Your role is to speak. We get an opportunity. Our role is to speak, but this is important. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. 
It is God's role to open ears and hearts. All we are to do is simply to have that presence, to proclaim what we believe in the simplest way and the clearest way possible, and then let God work. I'll come to back, back to that in a little while. Now, there's another thing we need to look at, a fourth principle. I am to pray for the ability to speak boldly about Christ. Now, earlier I mentioned that Paul wrote several letters from his prison. Uh, the letter to the Philippians, the letter to the Colossians, but also to the Ephesians. And near the end of his letter to the Ephesians, he writes something very similar to what he writes to the Colossians, but he adds something. And this is what he says. And pray for me too, ask God to give me the right word so I can, be, so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Interesting. Now, we read the word bold, and somebody that's my personality, I'm bold. Maybe not. What does bold mean? What, what does bold not mean? Bold does not mean being pushy. It does not mean being brash. It does not mean being forceful. It does not mean hitting somebody over the head with your Bible or with your helmet. Anything. <laughs> your helmet of salvation. That's what he talks about in Ephesians 6. No, but what, bold, what he means by bold is that we would be courageous, we would be brave, we would be unafraid. Some years ago, I, I did a study of uh, church-going adults, and I used the phrase, the primary reason I do not talk to my friends, my neighbors, my co-workers about my faith is because, and one of the one of the top responses was timidity, which is the opposite of boldness. And I get that. It takes guts to talk about our faith for some reason. I can't imagine what it would be like in India or North Korea. Talk about scary. That would take guts and take wisdom and how you do that carefully. But here in the States, it's why, why am I afraid sometimes. There have been times where I have just been afraid to say something. I, I need to be more like Paul who says, God, give me, give me boldness. I need to. And this is interesting. Paul's been around the world, and yet he still needs prayer for fearlessness, being unafraid. I've had settings where I've had the opportunity. I think I know what to say, and I've not pulled the trigger. I've not said anything fear of rejection, whatever it might be. Maybe you've been in the same spot. However, there have been times where I've spoken up. And you know what happens? It happens to any Christian. If you speak up for, your, for Christ, if you share your faith openly, this is what happens. Your faith is fortified. You're strengthened in your faith because what you're doing is stepping into the gap. You're stepping into the unknown. You're stepping into the uncertain. You're stepping into the unfamiliar, into the uncomfortable. And that is where God meets us and takes us to a new level in our spiritual lives. So Paul says, pray that I'd be bold. 
all of these prayers. You know, he's asking the Colossians to, to pray for it. It's Paul's gentle way of telling the Colossians and telling you and me that just as he wants prayer for his own life, for opportunities, for clarity, for boldness, we should pray those same things for our lives. Now, so far all we've done is talk about speaking the Word of God, speaking, talking about our faith. But if all we are is talk and no walk, then, we, then our efforts are in vain. So Paul takes us now in a different direction. And these are the words that Meg read to us just a little while ago. Paul says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So our fifth principle, how it must be, I am to live convincingly for Christ. My life matters. And he says a couple of different things. It's in how I act. He writes, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. To live wisely, to act with wisdom. Now the word wisdom shows up several times in Colossians and every time it says that it's something that comes from God. When we live wisely, that means we are showing the character of God in our lives. So th this time of year, what are we hearing? Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive its king. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Wasn't that beautiful the way I sang that? No, it wasn't. It was terrible. Because I just gave you the lyrics. What makes those lyrics come alive is the music. What makes our words about Jesus, the words about our faith come alive is the music of our lives. When we act wisely, when we, when, when, when we, when we pattern God, God's character. My in-laws, my mother-in-law is not doing well right now. My father-in-law passed away just two years ago. Not much on words, but their lives. They had the music. They had the music to back up the words, the lyrics. They had integrity. What does that look like in real life? So, so at the workplace, this is the music. There is honesty. There's integrity. There's a good work ethic. At home, there, there, is, there is patience and there's understanding and there's love and there's forgiveness and asking forgiveness. In the community, it's caring for others. In all of life, it's like when we blow it, I admit it. That's, those are all pictures of the wisdom of God in action, the, the music that gives support to our lyrics. Now, that's a process. We're all growing. We're all at different points in our spiritual journeys. We all blow it at times. There's no shortcut to wisdom. The way we get there is by sending our roots down into Christ. And that's it. Now Paul goes on. And he says, it's also how I sound. His last, his la his last words. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. In some Bible translations it says, let your conversation be gracious and seasoned with salt. Now what is it about salt that we like? It just makes taste, food taste so good. And that's Paul's point. 
your, the way you sound, your words, your speech, your conversation should be such that it's appetizing. Um, we've all been around Christians, or maybe you've been that Christian. I've been that Christian at points in my life where I've been trying to force feed my religion, where it's been a, more of a monologue than a dialogue, not listening. And that's not what Paul has in mind. Years ago, I came up with a phrase, and I've tried to live by this. Always leave someone wanting more of you, not less. <laughs> Always leave someone wanting more conversation with you, not less. Always leave someone wanting to know more about your faith, not less. How do you do that? With our conversations, with our speech, with our words. I think it's just as simple as being gracious just like God's been gracious to us. Being kind to people just like God's been kind to us. Being loving with our words just like God's been loving toward us. Or in our dialogue with people. We're showing respect. In our dialogue with people, we're asking questions. In our dialogue with people, we are showing appreciation. In our dialogue with people, we are... You have the idea. So, to end, let me just say this again. It is our responsibility to live convincingly with our lives and with our words. But it's God's job to convince. It's our job to speak up. It's God's job to speak into the heart. It's, it's our job to, to, to live the life of Christ before people. As, even as, as poorly as we do it at times. But it's God's job to bring new life into a person. And so we pray. That's where Paul leaves us with the book of Colossians before he goes into his final greetings. Now, in terms of next steps, let me just give you a few. One is we have a foundations class coming up. You may be sitting here thinking, I'm not even sure if I'm a Christian. I'm not even sure I believe the Bible. I'm not even sure there's a God. We have a class that's so simple that answers all these questions. We invite you to come to that. It's also our membership class, by the way. So come and just learn and just understand what it means to be a Christ follower. But another next step might be for you Christians, and that is take note of where God has placed you. God is strategic. Do you understand the networks God has given you, the circles of influence God has given you? Another one would be pray for opportunities to speak with clarity and boldness. Start this week with your three, the three people in your life that you can begin to pray for. Invite someone to hear your story. One of the simplest, easiest ways to communicate our faith. Look at the Bible with you. It's true. Many people have exposure to church and will accept the invitation to look at the Bible with a trusted friend. Give it a try. Uh, or attend a church service with you. When you came in, you received the listing of our Christmas Eve services. The easiest service to invite anybody to. All in, in the entire church year. And lastly... Ask someone close to you about the music in your life. Now, that's a hard question, but it's one we need to hear the honest answer to. Does the music in my life match my lyrics? Let's pray together. 
God, thank you for your grace in our lives that you bring us to yourself. And now you ask us to be your representatives to help bring others to you. It's our job to live beautifully before people, to speak in ways that are clear before people, but it's your job to draw people to yourself and to bring them to yourself. Would you please do that? Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And to close, let's stand, as we have each week now, let's stand together and let's read this from the screen. Let's read together. I'll begin. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Enjoy your day.